our kind of shorthand is you do the work and then you tell your story and that's where trust is earned because that kind of alignment is where people say, oh, these companies are walking their talk. And that's what we're trying to help companies do is really earn that trust. Hello, listeners, and welcome to In Trust. My name is Rick Kitagawa. And my name is Lisa Lombard. And thanks for joining us for our show about the most valuable asset today, trust. Today, we are thrilled to be joined by Lynn Johnson. Lynn is an extraordinary leader doing extraordinary work at the intersection of social impact, entrepreneurship, and arts and media. She has founded and successfully led several social ventures dedicated to storytelling through the lens of gender and racial justice, including Spotlight Girls and Oakland Freedom Theater, a first-of-its-kind ensemble of actors, musicians, and expert facilitators utilizing art and empathy to dismantle systems of oppression. As founder and CEO of Hella Social Impact, Lynn is focused on helping businesses show up for racial justice authentically and impactfully. She believes her main job is to help today's leaders access the courage and imagination needed to reshape our economy for the good of all people. But before we dive in, a quick word from our sponsors. The future is now here, both in the metaphysical sense as well as the book sense. Our new book, The Future is Trust, Embracing the Era of Trust-Centered Leadership is now available in both ebook and paperback formats on Amazon and most places where books are sold online. So go get your copy. We are so excited to bring this reimagination of what a leadership book can be. And whether you prefer a clean text-centric ebook or the full color photo print edition, we've been intentional in cutting out the fluff to bring you a book full of actionable and practical insights that will help you build the trust needed to help your organization thrive and build a resilient culture. If you haven't got your copy yet, visit thefutureistrust.com to pick one up today. And if you have got your copy, we would love an honest review on Amazon. Trust is better together. So we hope you'll join us in our quest to make the world a more trustworthy and trusted place and get your copy of The Future is Trust. Lynn, thank you for being here and welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. Lynn, for people who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Of course. I am a lot of things. I like to introduce myself with who I am as a human, so I'll do that. I am, in addition to to my professional life, I am a queer black woman who lives in currently in Albuquerque, New Mexico, USA. And I am someone who at this point is very much dreaming about racial justice. I like think about it in my sleep. Uh, And I am a mom and a wife and I have a couple of small dogs and I really I'm super proud of the fact that I'm a co-founder and CEO of Hella Social Impact, helping organizations and brands show up for racial justice. And as a consultant, I really lie at the intersection of diversity, equity, and inclusion, work around kind of organizational culture and development, and along with marketing communications. 
So that's who I am and what I do in the world. Amazing. Thank you. And that was the perfect seg into my first question because I'm super interested in the work that you do because like you said, it's at that intersection of diversity, equity, inclusion, marketing, social change, the arts with the work that you've done at Oakland Freedom Theater, media, culture, kind of all of it. And I would love to know how you think about really weaving all of these different parts of yourself together and different areas of interest together into the difference making that you're doing. I feel like the the kind of common denominator of the work is really about storytelling. Sometimes I I wish I could claim like I'm a storyteller, but I feel like there's like something that's very magical about that role and I have a hard time claiming that, but that's really what it comes down to. It's about all those things are woven together at that place of what are the stories are that haven't been told? Whose stories have been left out of the conversation? Whose stories tend where people tell them and others don't believe them? Whose stories are kind of seen as other or unique or interesting when they're actually like just real stories of real life people? And so I feel like everything I do uh, and everything that I've done is really about that. It's really about telling the stories that aren't often told. I love it, Lynn. And I think telling those stories and having someone with your care and intention telling those stories is such a powerful way to get more of those voices into the mix. I want to get into the work that you're doing at Hella Social Impact a little bit more because it's incredibly fascinating. And I think the edge that you've taken, again, you just being such an intentional person is a really important one to explore and maybe unpack with our listeners. And the focus of Hella is really at this, is focusing on racial justice as a business imperative. And it's something that organizations should be doing because it's the right thing to do. And, and our world really needs it. I'm really curious for you to unpack showing up for racial justice. I think those words are really, really important. And also getting into how you see trust playing a part in your work. Yeah. So the showing up is really an intentional word choice on our part because, um, and thank you for pointing that out, Lisa, like it's why we work at that intersection of the you know, aligning the internal culture work with the external communications work, because that's how you show up, right? Are you showing up for your employees, for the the diversity of people who work for you? Because, you know, that's not a case that has to be made anymore, right? Like everyone understands how important it is to have a diverse workforce, blah, blah, blah. So, but there's a difference between diversity and like actually like inclusion and belonging. The people who work for you, do they can they show up to work as the, their full selves? And can, are you creating an environment, an organizational culture where that is the case? And those people, and that people, no matter what their race or their background can like really thrive professionally, financially, personally. <clears throat> so, so there's that part of showing up. And then there's the part where our brands are some of the most impactful storytellers there are in our culture. We follow the communications of our companies in in so many ways on social media, through advertising, all these places. And so when you're really showing up for racial justice in kind of a media space, then again, you're going back to my 
essential purpose, right, is to tell the stories that haven't been told that are, that are left out of the conversation and to like educate and advocate for like actual change. And, and so that's what the showing up looks like because companies, so trust, I know that you all know about all the kind of studies that are going on around trust and the Edelman trust reports from like, especially from 2020 and 2021 are super central to the work we're doing. I mean, we're a super new company, Hello Social Impact. So a lot of, we were really born out of the pandemic and post murder of George Floyd and we're, and, and the Edelman 2020 trust report, right? We're kind of born out of that time where the data is people are really looking to companies to really take a stand on, on the issues that matter most, racial justice being one of them. And so we hear that as consultants, as strategists, as storytellers and say, okay, if the community is looking to our companies to take that leadership role, then you have to acknowledge that responsibility that we have as business leaders and acknowledge the power that we have and like take that very seriously. And so when we talk about showing up for justice, our kind of shorthand is you do the work and then you tell your story and that's where trust is earned because that kind of alignment is where people say, oh, these companies are walking their talk. And that's what we're trying to help companies do is really earn that trust. That's our big mission. If all of our clients really were trusted by their communities, by their employees, by their customers and their stakeholders, then, then we've succeeded. And I think it puts them on the right, on a more productive track as well. And it's a lot more than just posting a black square on social media. That's right. Because that's, I mean, that's, again, we also come out of that, that time of like, all we see all these millions of black squares that were posted. And then what happens? And it's one thing to say, gosh, racism is an awful thing. I am a totally against racism. And this is another thing to be actively uh, anti-racist in your behaviors and your policies and to be working towards actual justice. And if you post the square and you don't do the work that you say you're going to do, that's when trust is broken. So let's rebuild the trust by weaving all that together, saying something that you that you're committed to something, and then actually putting a plan in place to make that happen. I love your focus on the follow through because, like you said, like we saw in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, all of these people online showing up and you know putting the black square on their social media. But then like you said, where is the follow through and what are the systemic changes that people are making? And I would love to know, what do you feel like the biggest challenges are for a lot of organizations to actually have that follow through? Like why did we see so many people or so many organizations say, yes, Black Lives Matter, yes, racism is terrible, but then we're still going to allow these very systemic issues that might be plaguing us internally around equity and diversity and inclusion. Why don't we just change those? Like, why is there that disconnect, do you think? I think it's a lack of courage and a lack of imagination. That's what I believe. I think that in terms of courage, 
There's a lot of fear amongst business leaders of doing the wrong thing. So we talk to a lot of clients and potential clients around like, yeah, I'm super into this. And I get how you're, that you want us to tell the story too and put it in our marketing, but we don't want to necessarily put it out in our marketing because we don't, we don't want to look like we're, people are afraid to put it out before they're ready kind of thing. Like they don't want to look at their virtue signaling. They want to like kind of get it a hundred percent right. You know, like we want to be the ultimate anti-racist organization and then we want to be able to talk about it. Uh, so this is this is one fear. There's other fears, but that's one fear. And in that case, we are supporting our clients to bring their um, community along on the journey with them because that's what builds trust, right? So that we're in constant and consistent communication and that we're modeling that it's a process and that there's not this kind of state of perfection in terms of being the ultimate anti-racist, it's like, let's come on the journey with me. So that's some of the work that we're doing there. Another fear is of losing customers or losing employees. So when you take this kind of big stand, although most people in this country, especially most people are, um, you know, believe that systemic racism is real, believe it's a big problem, believe it's a problem that needs to be addressed, believe that, that companies need to address it. Most people do. So we're in the majority, but the minority who's against it is very vocal and very powerful, right? So like we know right now, for example, 26 out of 50 states, that's so that doing the math, that's more than half, um, have done the work to outlaw critical race theory in schools, 26 states. They haven't all passed, I think only like 10 or 11, but have passed these laws. So to say like, we can't talk about race or racism or structural racism in schools. I mean, that's terrifying to me. So the idea that like, you're gonna be a business leader and come out and say like structural racism is real and it's a major problem. They're gonna be very vocal people who are opponents to that and they will and you will lose their business. So yeah, you might lose the business, but you have to remember that they're really in the minority and you'll lose their business, but you'll gain so much more business. And same with employees, like employees who are like, I'm just coming to work, do the work. I don't want to talk about, I have to talk about politics or talk about race. Yep. You might lose some employees too. But again, like the, the culture you're creating, which is standing up for something, you're going to gain really passionate and amazing folks and the people who already work for you who really do care about that are going to trust you more so there's that fear too and so I said lack of courage lack of imagination so that's the courage piece and then the imagination piece is just because systemic racism is real our businesses are built on a system where racism is inherently built in. It's built into our capitalist system. You know, one thing I talk to folks a lot about is like to really build an inclusive environment, you have to slow down because you have to make space for more opinions, for more views. You can't just quick, make a decision real quick without like consulting people. So slowing down freaks people out because like, how do we do that? How do we, how are we, how are we gonna maintain productivity if we slow down? And so you have to go, right, that's a good question. Uh, let's figure it out. Like, how do we produce things and slow down? That takes imagination. So we have to 
do that work. I love the daringness and what you're putting forward, Lynn, but also it's just grounded in humanity in the work that you're doing. And it's dismantling systems of oppression is not a new thing for you in 2020. You were at this before the murder of George Floyd, before we we really saw the spotlight shown on a lot of systemic inequities with vaccines and a lot more that that has really been brought into the forefront these past 18 months or so. And it, it feels kind of like the world is catching up to you in a lot of ways and to your work and really your imaginative approach that you bring, like from what you've done with Oakland Freedom Theater to all the different um, kind of the intersection that you line as well with your team at Hello Social Impact. I'm curious as you go about this work and bringing people who have these real fears along in the journey, what are some of the ways that you've learned or that you've applied these approaches in guiding some of your clients through the scary pieces of doing this really important work? First of all, thanks so much for those kind words. That's lovely. I I am encouraged by that. Um, Well, one thing is, one thing I like to remind myself of is that I'm really only interested in working with people who already kind of get it on some level. So my job isn't to convince anyone that this is important. Like if, if, if we're having that conversation, then I'm gonna respectfully move on to some other person. <laughs> um, so, so at least like to like get know that we're valuing each other in, in, in some way. In working with folks and helping them get through the fear, I like to remind people of the power that they have, because we all have so much power, no matter, no matter what our race or gender or background or even the position in our company. I mean, we all have the power to make things happen. And I often have conversations with people who have that switch where they kind of light up and remember, oh, right, it can be me. I can be the person to do this work. So there's a lot of just holding someone's hand virtually and um, reminding them of the power that they have to even make small changes and how important that is. Um, Because yeah, I encounter a lot of people who care a lot but don't think that they can make something happen. And also to remind people that this work is about centering, again, the stories and experiences of folks who've been left out of the center, which sometimes, oftentimes means that we're gonna put dominant culture, we're gonna put white folks, white guys, whatever, in a position of feeling uncomfortable. And as a society, we don't like to make white guys feel uncomfortable. It's like we're trained not to make them uncomfortable. And so I'll hear people a lot say like, yeah, what you're saying is so important, but my manager or whatever, like they kind of want to do this. And I just like, you know, I'm like, how do I tell them how to, and I see like, we're doing so much, you know, we're tying ourselves in knots, trying to like center their comfort. And I'm like, yeah, they're going to be really like, you're going to say, you know, I, so I try to encourage people like, you're going to say this thing, you're going to suggest this thing, you're going to suggest this change. And you're right. It's going to make your manager uncomfortable. But like, that's okay. Because, because you're standing up for, you know, the black woman or 
the queer person or whatever who's been uncomfortable like the whole time they've worked there, you know? So it's super important to, sometimes it's like just to let people know that the thing that they're afraid of is actually going to happen <laughs> and, and that the, it's not gonna kill them. You know what I mean? Like, because what's on the other end of it is equity. And that's what we're looking for. And equity helps all of us. Totally. Yeah. And I think you bring up such a important way of framing this fear that we have around, especially the comfort of dominant culture. And like, I've had the privilege of being able to work with you in an organizational sense, Lynn, and see the change that you're bringing in terms of how do we talk about systemic oppression, especially around race and systemic racism. And I feel like there has been a lot of other organizations that are very confrontational around that, where it almost seems they are trying to make white men, especially almost, it feels like there's this animosity almost because other people from non-dominant identities have been feeling trauma and been feeling bad this entire time. And so then there's this little bit of like, well, white people get used to it. This is just the, the non-stuttering, like tough luck, you know? And I feel like there's a fine line of really embracing that tension without that sense of needing to an eye for an eye equalize things. And I would love to know how you and Hella really approach that in building trust with both parties, right? Of both the marginalized voices that you're trying to uplift, as well as the dominant culture who you're looking to enroll in a better way forward. Yeah, first, let me say that because I do everything I can in my work to to use my words like center marginalized folks, center, you know, black folks and non-black people of color. That means that if I encounter folks of color who have that attitude, for lack of a better word that you're talking about, who are like, you know, know what? Like, I'm just gonna, I'm so angry. I wanna make them as much as uncomfortable as possible, all that. When I, when I encounter that, I actually go, okay, I understand it as a tactic. 100%. And I have compassion for it. It's not necessarily how I roll in the world, but I completely have a, a compassion for it because, you know, there's so much, there's been so much hurt and trauma and so much harm that's been caused and everyone deals with it in different ways. You know, I encounter folks all the time who are like, you know, I never want to talk to another white person ever again. And I'm like, yep, that's fine. That's like you have to do what you have to do to take care of yourself. So I just want to just preface my answer by saying that. Now, the way that me and Hella, you know, go about the work is different than that. I feel like I have been, you know, I've spent my whole career as a facilitator, as a teacher. You know, I know a lot of uh, Black folks, especially other other folks of color are like, I do not want to teach white people anything about racism. I'm like, you don't have to, but like, I feel called to be a teacher. And so I take this one for the team, <laughs> as it were. Uh, so as a facilitator, and I've been a facilitator for like 30 years, almost 30 years. So as a facilitator, my worldview is to bring people 
into the conversation. Like I'm trying to bring people in. So at Hella, you know, we always talk about, we don't want to call people out. We want to call people in. And we want to invite people to white people or any, anybody who's uncomfortable with the conversations around race to find, like, be like, it's okay to be uncomfortable. That's okay. But let's come on in. We're going to show you what's happening and we're going to let you know if you're causing harm, but we're going to let you know that so that something can be done about it so we can help you with the repair. You can't repair unless you know you're causing harm. So that's like our approach to it. And that's how we work with companies. And similar, like if we, if we don't, I don't think we have a client like this right now, but I've worked with clients in the past where we also are, we have boundaries, right? So if there is someone causing harm in the company, you know, we will say like, this person maybe shouldn't be here. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like this person maybe doesn't have a place in this culture that you're trying to create that's focused on belonging. But my view is that although we do this work in different weight, different paces, we're at different parts of our journey, there has to be some way that we're connected in it. And so I'm trying to find those connections. I love that. I think you can see your heart in that, Lynn, and where you go. And I think in your role as a facilitator, as a teacher, I would say storyteller. I think you have that gift and you bring that gift to the world as well. And I would say innovator and trailblazer as well. I'm curious in that. Thank you. How have you learned to trust in yourself along the way so that you can also share your gifts of your imagination and your courage with the world? Oh, what a great question. How have I learned to trust myself? That's such a good question. A couple of things are coming up for me. One is that uh, my daughter, who's going to be 13 in a couple months, she is incredible. She's amazing. And she also um, has mental and emotional disabilities. And my wife and I adopted her from foster care when she was six. And it's like that cliche, like your child, your children are your greatest teachers. And so the journey that I've been on as her mother has been challenging and it's been, it's shown me the best and worst of myself, but it's also because I'm a systems thinker, you know, I like am able to think about Like I'm constantly thinking about her and like where the systems have failed her and, you know, how she is able to like, how she's like the most resilient, hardworking person I know. And all the things that my family has gone through and is going through, it's like makes us and as a result, me pretty badass. So this was like, I've like, I've learned, you know, my wife and I call it elite parenting. Like, so there's, there's like this kind of thing of, of like, okay, so I've learned, I've navigated this, this, the places you see, you should, 
God, no, I, I don't wish on anyone to have seen some of the battles I've been in with certain systems and things just to try to get care for my child. So there's like that one piece of like going through the fire and, and like coming out the other side. That's something that helps me build trust in myself. And then the other thing is like, I've been really good at asking for help for most of my adulthood, which is, I'm, I'm proud of that. But lately I've been particularly good at surrounding myself with the right team of people. My colleagues at Hella are like, I, I just can't say enough, enough about how incredible they are. And even like the clients I have, like Rick, you're fantastic. And like, you know, and all the other folks that we've worked with. So there's something about when I, I see myself reflected in the people who I choose to like be with and like make work with. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm doing something right because here's who I get to hang out with. And that makes me trust myself. I love it. And thank you so much for the kind words. And, and just to kind of reflect what I'm hearing is just, it's both the knowledge that you've been through a lot and you've survived. And it's sort of that knowing that you're going to figure it out for one and two, it's finding the right tribe of people to walk alongside. And I feel those are awesome practical takeaways for anyone who is looking to build that self-trust because yeah, part of self-trust is knowing how to, like you said, ask for help and walk alongside other people. As Lisa knows, I like to say teamwork makes your dream work. And it sounds like this is truly uh, something that, that you live by. And kind of going off that, I would love to know, is there any practical advice that you would just give anyone who's looking to show up, period, for racial justice? Yeah, at Hello, we used our framework, we call it our racial justice spectrum, and it's based on the practices of notice, name, and dismantle. And to me, how that breaks down in terms of practical advice, especially that the first piece, like in order to get in the game is to really do the noticing, to really understand. So I'm assuming you understand that racial inequity and structural racism is real and it's a thing, but like really digging in and understanding that, understanding why, and just like doing that noticing work. So I know sometimes people, I feel like sometimes people get discouraged or around like, oh, I'm just reading this book or I'm just watching, you know, listening to this podcast or whatever. And I, I would, don't underestimate that. Like, I feel like I'm constantly, I'm constantly reading and listening and understanding. There's so much historical context. There's so much, there's so many stories that have been buried that we had not been taught. And we could spend our lives continuing to, to unbury those stories and like reteach ourselves history. So don't underestimate, like if you're in a book club or like if you're like watching YouTube videos about whatever, like do that, like do that work. Um, because every piece of information where you're putting the puzzle together and you're like, oh, this thing happened, which caused this thing to happen, which means that this is the case. It just like blows your mind. And so that's really important. And then going into naming, naming is really about speaking plain and taking responsibility for like, now that you have this knowledge, like, what are you going to do with it? Right. And so just practical showing up 
One thing we do is just like encourage, this seems so simple, but if you are a white identified person, just like saying you're white, being like, yeah, as a white person, I dot, dot, dot. So often white folks are taught to like ignore race. Like if we talk about race, that's racist. And it's just not true. Uh, we have to acknowledge it in order to face it and, and in order to do something about it. So it's such a simple thing, like as a white person, I, or as a straight person, I, like naming your dominant culture, right? Like I know I'm highly educated, so I might be seeing this thing this way, which is different than someone who might not have my degree. Things like that, acknowledging where you're at or acknowledging your marginalized identities also, you know, just coming out of the closet with whatever it is you got going on in there is really important because that kind of naming is like, lets us kind of see what's happening. And I know that ultimately we, what we want is equity and we want a place where everyone can thrive, but that doesn't mean that we can ignore like our differences now. So it's about just like claiming it, being like, yeah, I'm different than you. And like, who cares? Right. So that's an important part of a really practical thing. And then I guess another, I mean, there's so many practical things you can do, but I guess one other thing I'll say, because I could have a list of like a hundred things, but another, but I don't, <laughs> uh, one thing I think is important to say at the end here is when you are in the dominant culture and I'll talk specifically about white folks, I guess, um, rather than like other areas of, of identity, it's super important to listen to those stories. Again, I'm going back to the, the unheard, the marginalized stories, is to listen to stories of Black folks and non-Black folks of color. And when you listen to those stories, believe the stories, full stop. Just believe them and practice believing. It's really easy to hear a story and say, oh, well, that's so different than my experience. So it can't, that can't possibly be true. There's no way that that cop pulled you over just because you were black. Like, I cannot believe that. Cops don't do that. It's like, well, cops don't do that to you, but it's a different situation. So just believe the story and just start with that. Start with imagining that that person's telling the hundred percent truth. And for folks of color, black folks and folks of color who are like engaged in the work of showing up for racial justice, the practical advice I'd have for you is to really take care of yourself, to take care of yourself in this process, to not feel like you do have to educate everybody, but also to keep telling your story when you can, even though we feel gaslit a lot, keep telling your story because the more we tell the story, our stories, I think I got this from Seth Godin. I think Seth Godin said something of like, he talks about something about stories, right? And how we have to keep telling the same story over and over again until it gets kind of boring. So there's something about how, even though we're really, really tired of it, it's super important for us to find ways to keep telling our stories as folks of color. So that's some practical advice of my list of like hundreds. <laughs> I feel like we definitely need to, to get that list of a hundred to, to share with people. But I guess that's why they can go and hire you and hella social impact. One thing before we wrap up, Lynn, I just want to call in something that I found incredibly helpful from the work that I've seen you do is just this idea of really identities being a spectrum and how you kind of called in both like, oh, you could be part of the dominant culture in race, 
but you might be part of a non-dominant culture someplace else. And I think having everyone really internalize that you can be both marginalized as well as part of the dominant culture kind of at the same time. And it's that's the uniqueness of the individual humanity that we all bring. And I think it's coming from that framework, it's helped me really internalize how many different privileges I have, even if I might be, you know, a person of color. And so I think that uh, personally, I just want to kind of thank you and the work that you and Oakland Freedom Theater and Hella Social Impact has done for me around recognizing that like, oh, yes, I am a person of color. And, and that brings its own story that's affected my life, but then also all of the other privileges that I have of being a straight man, able-bodied, highly educated, all of these other things. And that's helped me reframe how I show up in the world too. So wanted to, to just use this time to say thank you for that. Well, you're welcome. That's great. That's an important lens. You know, it's important for all of us to like, just pay attention to how we move through the world, you know, and how we show up in places and where, like, especially in our dominant identities, you know, like the space that we take up. I went to a really good college and I was, I, I, I have educational privilege and I tend to be a, a, an extrovert. And so like, I could talk and talk and talk and talk and take up a lot of space, a lot of airtime. And, you know, it makes me a good podcast guest, but not always, not always the best in a circle, you know? And so I'm constantly having to go like, okay, I have to find a way to like, notice how I show up in this space. And so, and I have a lot of marginalized identities, but I have to like watch that one kind of thing. Love it. Love it. Lynn, thank you so much for your time. But before we wrap up, uh, I'd love to know what's coming up for you, Hello Social Impact, any of your other ventures that you would like to share with our audience? Great. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks so much for bringing in Oakland Freedom Theater as well. Um, we are on hiatus right now, so there's nothing to report there. As a pandemic maneuver, you know, started performing performing on Zoom, which was great. And then that kind of got tiring. So now things are opening up and we're regrouping and trying to figure out what happens next to that work. But in terms of Hello Social Impact, we are on a roll and we are launching the second cohort of what we call our Hella Intensive. And the Hella Intensive is a six week action cohort for organizations who really wanna show up for racial justice and just don't have a plan yet and are looking for that plan. Um, so we lead them through those six weeks, a six week process of, of that, you know, doing that noticing, naming and dismantling and really getting an action plan. Uh, like you said, Rick, earlier, like we're all about those outcomes, like how are you gonna change your policies and practices, whether it's, you know, short-term or long-term. So, so that is, we have our second cohort. Our first cohort was for, was for certified B Corps. We did that back in the spring. And now we're doing um, a cohort for CPGs, a consumer packaged good company, CPGs, um, starting August 10th. And there's still time and space for companies to sign up for that. And so information about that is on our website, hellasocialimpact.com. Amazing. We will definitely get that link up in the show notes for everyone who wants to find out more about Hella Intensive. Are there any other links that you would like to share for people to, who are interested in finding more about you, about Hella, about how to show up for racial justice? 
The best is to follow us on Instagram at Hello Social Impact and on LinkedIn. Those are the places where we engage most with folks and we would love to connect with you there. Awesome. I just have to say, I love the name Hella Intensive for the program. I just like, who wouldn't want to be part of a Hella Intensive? It's amazing. <laughs> Lynn, thank you so much for your time, for your generosity and for this conversation today. This was a treat. Thank you so much, Lisa and Rick. I enjoyed speaking with you. I hope we can do it again. Likewise. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Trust is better together, so if you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with someone who you think might appreciate it, and don't forget to leave us a review. The In Trust podcast is produced by Spotlight Trust, where we help leaders and organizations put trust at the center of their work so that they can achieve more than they ever thought possible while adapting to our fast-changing world. If you'd like to get in touch with us, simply email podcast at spotlighttrust.com. Dot com.